Hi there, and welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast. Our vision is to find sanctuary in Christ and then to be sanctuary to each other and express sanctuary to this city. And so for us, success is loving well, one person at a time. And if we can help you in any way, please do feel free to reach out, jump onto our website, sanctuarysf.com, and we would love to connect. Anyway, back to the podcast. Today we're going to be continuing our series called Just Jesus, where we explore the character of Jesus. We've been using the Gospel of Mark to do this because Mark does a really good job of actually cutting through all the noise and distilling things down to just who Jesus was, what he was about, what sort of things he did. So there's a lot that we can learn from actually looking through uh, or looking at the character of Jesus through the lens of Mark. Today we're actually going uh, to be looking at two passages. The first will be Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 34. The second uh, is the corresponding passage from Luke, which is Luke chapter 4, verses 31 through 41. I won't actually read that passage because it's basically the same thing, uh, but I will call out a couple key differences between uh, the two stories. So first, here's Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 34. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teacher with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand, lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So there's a lot of different ways that we could take this passage. A lot of different uh, things that we could pull out of it. Uh, I specifically want to look at how the character uh, Jesus is portrayed in these verses as an authority that is worth submitting to. So in a moment, I'll pull three characteristics out. Uh, I am not Tom, so they will not be alliterative, uh, but I am pragmatic for sure. So hopefully they make sense. 
I actually chose this specific direction because it felt uh, pretty painful to me. I originally wanted to go down a route um, saying how Jesus's authority should make us feel empowered because uh, he came to give us access to the same authority. Um, and that should make us feel, wow, we, we have access to the same thing as this guy who was healing and amazing people and casting out demons. But that didn't actually feel particularly challenging as a topic to me. Uh, that, uh, that specific topic is something that I've been living in for a while now. Plus, I also couldn't put together a single coherent thought on that topic, so <laughs> no luck there. Uh, we're actually going to be looking at something that I feel is a lot more difficult, uh, which is the idea that Jesus was an authority that's worth submitting to. So this idea uh, is actually really tricky for us because our society emphasizes individual choice. Uh, you see this all the time in um, modern conversations. Uh, you think about, I think about Billy's favorite topic of relativism uh, and people saying things like, oh, I just need to live my truth or something like, don't tell me how to live my life. All of these things are, are jokes for the most part, uh, they're jokes, but really at their core, they're describing that anything that is a hindrance to our freedom should not be allowed. Uh, basically the idea that our individual choice should be exalted and held on a pedestal and not challenged in any way at all. This actually would have been really tricky for Mark's audience as well, uh, because Mark was actually writing uh, to, very likely to, early Christians in, in Rome, uh, who were in, uh, specifically being persecuted at that time by Nero. So if you think about that, the authority that was in place in their life was actually this oppressive Roman emperor who was literally killing them. And, uh, we can say, well, that's human authority, uh, this is different because it's it's much easier to submit to God's authority, but I believe that once you get a taste of bad authority, it's actually really hard to get on board with it again. However, with that being said, it's crucial that we do. James uh, chapter 4, verses uh, 4 through 8 actually describes this idea that we can be an enemy of God through submission to the world. Paul in Romans chapter 8 uh, further brings up this topic, talks about this as well. He says, The mind set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. So basically what they're saying here is when we step out from under the authority of God, we align ourselves against him. This is actually like exactly what Satan did when you think about it. He was an angel 
And he put himself, wanted to put himself, step out from under God's authority, put himself on the same pedestal as God. And uh, so now he is labeled for all eternity as Satan, which literally means uh, the adversary. So someone who is opposed. Now, I think that this still doesn't make it easy uh, because, yes, it's crucial, but we aren't wired, actually, to be motivated by fear. I mean, maybe for a short time this can be helpful. Think about your fight-or-flight response, uh, which is very good at goading us into immediate action. But in the long term, fear doesn't cut it as a motivator, in my opinion. And I think that that's actually in part why Mark is writing this passage. You see, at this point in the story, Mark hasn't actually described any of Jesus's miracles yet. That's kind of surprising for Mark because, as I mentioned earlier, his style specifically emphasizes the actions of Christ pretty heavily. Uh, if you think about the story that comes right before this, Mark leaves out uh, quite a few details in his description of this event, which is uh, the miracle of the fish, uh, where Jesus comes and actually, like, they can't even pull their nets back into the boat because they're so full of fish. Uh, Mark just sort of leaves out all of those details of how it was miraculous. Um, he just sort of says, follow me and I'll become fishers of men. And then we see that uh, the gospels just sort of do it, or the, sorry, the disciples just sort of do it. Now, it's not clear why he did this, but it is clear that this would leave the reader, us, questioning why Simon, Andrew, James, and John left immediately and followed him. What was it about this man that made him worth following? What is it about Jesus to us that makes him worth following? This passage is Mark's immediate addressal of that question. Why is Jesus an authority worth submitting to? So the first point I want to draw out here is that uh, he is the greatest teacher. So verse, chap or verse 22 describes him uh, by saying they were astonished by his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Now, the scribes at that time were uh, the teachers of the law. They were a bit like Jewish celebrities. Uh, they were really big on uh, this idea that if they could reference enough other teachers, and they demonstrated this vast knowledge of tradition, then they would gain a heavy, huge reputation for being someone incredibly knowledgeable and worth listening to because they could quote all of these different authors. But Jesus was different than that. He had authority. This was something that the scribes didn't have, and specifically an authority that was different. In Greek, they actually used the word exousia, which comes from the Greek excesti, meaning it is free or it is permitted. This also carries connotations of power and strength. So basically, Jesus spoke powerfully, 
and he spoke like someone who felt the freedom to speak without reservation. He didn't feel the need to like prove himself or anything. It was free. It was permitted for him to speak because of his authority. Mark illustrates this authority further by showing uh, the exorcism immediately thereafter. And once again, we see people respond with amazement. They say, what is this? A new teaching with authority. So specifically, the point I think that Mark is making is not that Jesus had the best analogies. It was actually, I'm sure he did have great alliterative illustrations. I'm uh, sure that his content was really spectacular. But what Mark is saying is that the way he spoke was unlike anyone that they had seen before. His teaching was different because it wasn't speculative. It was declarative. When Jesus said something, they knew it to be true. When Jesus speaks, it is truth spoken because he is the truth. Everyone in the synagogue knew it. So I actually used to teach uh, sanctuary kids, and I uh, personally was never very good at leading the kids, keeping them on track. Um, We would get started. Inevitably, chaos would ensue, and I would try to get them back on topic for a while until eventually I would just give up. And I'd say, "Uh, uh, whatever, you guys can just throw pine cones at me for the next 20 minutes until service is over. Uh, that actually happened. You can you can ask Kelsey. Uh, but I often would teach as well with Josie Shaw. And when Josie teaches, she carries with her uh, confidence and authority that the kids can pick up on. They actually wanted to listen to her. They wanted to learn from her. You could see it in the way that their behavior would shift. They actually really enjoyed sitting down and listening because Josie was uh, and is a spectacular teacher. I actually think that she's a lot like Jesus in that way. Because deep down, for being honest, I think we all feel a bit like a child often. Uh, we're, we're easily distracted. We're pulled off topic. We, we want to focus on our own desires. We want to focus on, on ourselves. Uh, we want to emphasize our own individual choice. Ultimately, we need a teacher who has authority that gives us a reason to actually lay down our own desires so that we can grow. The second point I want to make is that Jesus delights in intimacy. So specifically, the one point or one of the few points uh, that Mark's passage differs from Luke's is that Mark in verse 31, when describing Jesus's healing of Simon's mother-in-law, states that he came and he took her by the hand. Uh, Luke, Luke actually later emphasizes how Jesus lays hands on everyone else uh, when he's doing healing, but not specifically Simon's mother-in-law. And I, I think that this is probably because Luke was, was actually writing to show that Jesus was the savior of the whole world, not just like the Jews or the Gentiles, uh, but the 
flip is that Mark was actually writing to an audience, um, the early Christians, who didn't know Jesus when he was around. Mark is describing Jesus to an audience that's never seen him, wants them to know ultimately what he was like. So I think it's really interesting that Mark specifically calls out the fact that he takes her by the hand. It's a really intimate thing, actually. Uh, He could have just snapped and healed her, uh, or he could have healed her with a word. We see that later. But specifically, he takes her by the hand. Uh, Another obvious example of Jesus uh, delighting in intimacy is when he washes the disciples' feet. In his final moments, he's physically connecting uh, with these people that he loves. Uh, Another example is this passage uh, that comes that comes later on in uh, actually the last chapter of John, I think it's John chapter 19, um, where Jesus uh, asks Peter, do you love me? And um, that's actually uh, John chapter 21. Um, But yeah, Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? Three times. Um, which I believe is a parallel for the fact that Peter has, at this point, denied Jesus three times. So he's actually been living in this idea that he has, uh, that he has denied his best friend, the guy he's been following for years at this time. It's probably a source of a lot of guilt in Peter's life. Uh, he's... He's probably really actually desperately needs this to be removed. He needs a chance to do it over. So Jesus actually comes up to him and asks him, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Each time sort of like as if he's overriding the past for Peter, overriding each of his three denials. So here we see Jesus once again demonstrating intimacy, this time not intimacy through touch, intimacy through a demonstration of knowing Peter's need for redemption. This type of authority, again, is, is different. It's special. If we contrast this with politicians, most bosses, and an unfortunate amount of parents who don't take the time to find out who you are, they don't care to find out what you need, and they don't demonstrate how much you matter to them. Jesus is different than this. He does take the time to find out who you are. He knows who you are. He takes the time to find out what you need, and he makes sure to demonstrate how much you matter to him. So I actually think uh, my good friend Tanner, uh, my good friend and roommate Tanner, does um, something that illustrates this as well. He'll often uh, come up to me during the day and just sort of like grab my hand. And the purpose there is to um, kind of slow us both down and to establish a sense of connection uh, where, where we're like, where he's saying, hey, you're seen, you're important, you're loved. Um, yeah, I don't actually have to doubt whether I'm important to Tanner um, because he, he tells me every day. 
when you, uh, yeah, when you meet someone who is like that, it actually changes the way that uh, you experience the world. You don't have to live without confidence uh, when you have a friend who's telling you uh, either like verbally or through like nonverbal signals that you're important. Uh, you just kind of can walk through life with a lot more confidence. Jesus knew the importance of that. He could have healed with a word again. He could have uh, he could have healed with a snap, but he chooses to take Simon's mother-in-law by the hand. He could have just sat Peter down to tell him what he would need to do to lead the church, uh, which is what Jesus was uh, also talking about in that passage where he asks Peter, do you love me? But instead, he chooses Peter a chance, or he chooses to offer Peter a chance at redemption in the process. The whole point was that Jesus's intimacy destroys doubts. The third piece and the last thing I want to talk about uh, is that Jesus loves to serve. Verses uh, 32 through 34 describe how they brought to him all who were sick. And the whole city was gathered. He healed many. They came after sundown, uh, which is likely to avoid the restrictions of the Sabbath. And uh, yeah, this would have probably gone like very late into the night. I mean, that's so unlike me. After work, I literally like find somewhere to lie face down uh, for like 10 minutes Often it's my bed, um, sometimes it's my couch, sometimes it's just my floor. I mean, I just need a space to like literally lie face down. And uh, it's because I'm, I'm exhausted. Jesus was like, I'm sure also exhausted after having taught all day, he was healing. It goes way, way late into the night, and if we had continued, we would actually see the next verse describing that Jesus rises very early in the morning while it was still dark the next morning. And, um, I mean, this is just so unlike me. Uh, he is, he's surely tired, but he still is prioritizing serving. Uh, shortly, actually, uh, before the Peter Do You Love Me passage, uh, we see in John chapter 21, verse 9, the disciples are fishing, uh, and Jesus comes to the shore once again. He calls out to them, and, and uh, again we see that they pull in this huge load of fish. And then when they come in, what they actually find is Jesus has prepared a charcoal fire for them with fish laid out on it and bread. So he's actually prepared a meal for them, which is, uh, I think, so, uh, so spectacular. <laughs> the idea that the God of the universe, I mean, at this point, Jesus has just risen from the dead. This is his moment of triumph. He could be gloating. He could be like, he could be doing any number of things, but instead he comes back in his moment of power and chooses to serve the people that he loves. He prepares a meal for them. This is just so different than any other authority that we see. Uh, this is humility on display. 
it's so crazy. Uh, this was just another thing that made him different from the scribes and enticing to the disciples. He was willing to serve, even though everyone insisted that he didn't need to or he shouldn't. Um, ultimately, yeah, I have a uh, I have a friend named Dave who leads a ministry that builds small homes in a, or builds homes in a small village outside of Ensenada. He's been doing this for, I think it's been like several decades at this point, or at least almost two decades. And to my knowledge, he has led a house build every year. Certainly every year that I've been on the trip. Uh, And he also often goes multiple times every year. He doesn't uh, work in construction by trade, uh, and he really didn't know much when he started. But God put it on his heart to serve, and he's been going faithfully ever since. So if you know Dave, he, he certainly does not, uh, he doesn't mince words. He's going to say exactly what's on his mind, and this will often get under people's skin. Uh, often he's a pretty divisive person, but people still follow him. him they, they still follow him year after year because he loves to serve. Sure, he's this uh, divisive person in the way that he uh, speaks and some of the positions that he has, but people can see his heart on display because he serves. He's been doing this for years, and people can see that his heart is to serve God no matter what cost. When you really actually know him and you can see that, there's not much you can do but to get caught up along with him. Uh, And that, I think, is is a big reason why he's like a leader that's worth following. Jesus was this dialed to infinity. He was supremely God and also supremely humble. I'll close with this. Uh, Mark, later in Mark, we see Jesus summon, uh, he summons a crowd with his disciples and, uh, and tells them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now, to us, the cross is sort of like this ultimate display of love. You know, this, uh, we can see this symbol of forgiveness and of, uh, or forgiveness of sins, of, of grace. But to Jesus's audience, and, and also to Mark's audience, this would have meant something entirely different. This, this description of a cross would have meant only one thing, like humiliation and ultimately death, which is, is pretty, uh, pretty distinct. I've actually, I mean, it's funny, the idea of dying for my faith has always felt simple to me. It's probably because I struggled to grasp the concept with my entitled mind. I'm like, sure, sure I would die for my faith if God asked. I mean, he never, never would. Uh, but, but at the same time, in the same breath, I'll also say, like, hmm, God, do you really want me to get up right now when my eyes are super sleepy 
My bed is the literal embodiment of the word cozy. I don't, I don't know if I really want to submit in that way. Uh, I think that's just a really hard pill to swallow. Am I actually submitted to God's authority? I uh, struggle a lot with that idea that I need to submit to God's authority and follow him. But when I look at Jesus, all I see is him doing the same. It's hard for me to submit to any authority, to give up my sense of autonomy and choose to serve instead. But I do think that Jesus is an authority worth submitting to.